Hello and welcome to the CircuitPython weekly meeting for September 14th, 2020. My name is Scott and I work on CircuitPython for Adafruit. Uh, CircuitPython is a beginner-friendly version of Python designed for inexpensive computers called microcontrollers. Uh, they are a core uh, product of Adafruit, who uh, sponsors many of us who work on CircuitPython. Adafruit is an open source hardware and software company based out of New York. Uh, if you'd like to support CircuitPython and support uh, Adafruit, who supports CircuitPython, you can go to adafruit.com and uh, purchase some low-cost, inexpensive electronics there uh, to build all your hobby, hobby desires or project desires. Um, this is a meeting we have for CircuitPython every, every week. Uh, we do it at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Adafruit Discord server, which you're welcome to join anytime during the week uh, by going to the URL adafru.it slash discord. Uh, that will drop you in. We have a CircuitPython text channel that we will follow uh, in this meeting and are available all week in. And then we also have a voice channel where we talk about things going on in uh, the world wide world of CircuitPython. Uh, this meeting uh, is recorded. Man, my brain is gone today. Um, this is what happens when we have more people running the meeting. It's, it becomes longer and longer since I did the last one. Um, so this meeting is recorded, just a heads up. Uh, it does get posted to the Adafruit YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Adafruit. Um, <laughs> I used to run it all the time. Jeff says, uh, we'll let you run it every time if you want. Uh, no thanks, it's good to share. Um, yeah, so this meeting is recorded and posted to uh, youtube.com slash Adafruit, so if you are in the voice channel, beware of that. Um, and uh, it also gets, the audio gets posted as a podcast. So if you're a podcast person like I am, um, oh, Microdev's asking. Nope. Somebody want to reply to them? Reply to them. Um, and wow so this meeting it's on the adafruit uh discord server uh everybody's welcome to join but if you'd like to participate um make sure that you're in the circuit pythonistas role um that will allow you to to unmute and speak up into the voice channel we we had some spam where folks were just uh saying terrible things uh and so we've we've locked it down some so just uh beware of that um this meeting is in five parts we start with a uh, community news section where we just kind of go over uh, some things that happened on the internet uh, and milestones uh, for CircuitPython Day. It's a preview of the uh, CircuitPython or the Python for Microcontrollers newsletter that goes out uh, every Tuesday morning at adafruit.com. Uh, and higher effect, you're on. There I am. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Um, after we have community news, we have State of CircuitPython Libraries in Blanca, which is an objective view of the health of the project, kind of geared towards grounding ourselves in how things are going. Uh, after that, we have uh, Hug Reports, which is a chance for us to say thank you to folks for the work that they've been doing within the community, and also uh, let every each other know kind of the things that we value. Uh, that's done as a round robin, so I will start and then go through the list of the folks in the notes doc plus the voice channel. Um, if you are unable to make it and have notes, I will read those off. If you are able to make it but don't uh, aren't in a position to speak up, I'm also ha happy to read it off. 
And then uh, if you're just l listening, just let us know you're lurking. We'll mark you so we just skip over you. Um, so that's how round robin sections go. We After hug reports, we also do status updates that way, uh, where status updates is a chance for you to spend a couple minutes talking about what you're working on uh, in the past week and what you plan on working on in the coming week. Uh, it's a great way for us to kind of have a feel for what everything that's happening and uh, also potentially like give tips or tricks to somebody else who's done, doing something similar to what we've been doing in the past. Um, that's status updates. Uh, and lastly, the last section we have is a in the weeds section where we have a chance to do any longer form discussions about uh, the community or technical uh, decisions that need to be made. It's at the end so that we don't feel like uh, we need to rush it. Uh, so that's the meeting in a nutshell. Uh, as I said earlier, it happens Mondays at, at a, a 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Everyone's welcome to join. Uh, there is a note stock uh, for those of you who want to follow along. And uh, that note stock is also... Um, I just had a thought that maybe Microdev can't ha access... Um, can't access Discord. Well, they're on Discord. Um, anyway... Let's get started. My brain is obviously not completely here. Maybe I should blame the wildfire smoke outside uh, or just the fact that it's Monday. Uh, so I'll, t I'll take time codes in the notes doc so that, that folks watching after the fact can skip around. Um, and with that, I'll take a time code for the community news. So uh, community news is a section where we just talk about the highlights of everything. Um, we had the circuit Python milestones this week, uh, which is pretty awesome. Um, this past week, the circuit Python community reached 150 microcontroller boards capable of running circuit Python. Uh, you can check out what all those boards are by going to circuitpython.org slash downloads. Uh, in addition to over, uh, in addition to those 150 microcontroller boards, we have over 50 single board computers that now run, uh, circuit Python libraries, uh, with, uh, the Blinka layer. Those include Raspberry Pi, Onion Omega, NVIDIA Jetson, and many more. Uh, and I believe that is uh, circuitpython.org slash uh, I was going to say audio, but not audio. circuitpython.org slash Blinka, I believe. Um, and the number of both microcontroller and single board computers that, that are supported grow every day. So make sure if you add support for it, get it checked in, we'll add it to the list. A um, couple more milestones. Uh this week is the 100th newsletter, and also the 100th, uh, it, says, it says, this issue following CircuitPython Day is the 100th issue of both this newsletter and the accompanying Python on Hardware video produced from newsletter content. Thank you to our readers for making this newsletter the best synopsis of Python on Hardware, uh, 100 issues running. And uh, last week, uh, let me take a time code. Thank you for making CircuitPython Day a huge success. It was last Wednesday, September 9th. Um, CircuitPython Day on September 9th, 2020 came last Wednesday with project events and CircuitPython live streams highlighting all things Python and Python and hardware. Uh, if you're interested in creating CircuitPython Day 2021 projects or hosting events, videos, or live streams, start planning now and watch for uh, watch around July of next year for uh, interest or information about that. And also, I should say, uh, there is a YouTube playlist. If you missed CircuitPython Day uh, last week, there is a, 
a YouTube playlist that has all of the videos uh, from Adafruit, at least. Um, perfect. Um, yeah, all the videos from CircuitPython Day are in a playlist that I will, uh, some, hopefully somebody can pull up and, and drop in the chat, and I'll make sure that's in the newsletter as well. Um, update from Adafruit. Uh, Adafruit is shipping orders, uh, and they've done a great job to get everything in stock. So if you want to sort, support Adafruit and by extension CircuitPython, uh, please check that out. Go to adafruit.com and uh, pick up one of our uh, products to support us. And with that, um, let's move on to the next section. Oh, I should also say that um, if you have more information or projects with CircuitPython that we haven't covered in the newsletter, uh, please let us know. We'd love to have it and, and get it out to a number of folks. Uh, I think we're somewhere around 8,000 folks on that newsletter. So if you have something interesting and cool to show off, we'd love to have it. Um, okay. So, state of CircuitPython and the libraries. Uh, this is a chance for us to talk about um, kind of like n some numbers giving us an objective overview of how things are going. Um, so, overall, uh, we had 37 pull requests merged from 19 different authors, which is awesome. Um, some names that I don't recognize here, kind of as a proxy for newcomers uh, Michael Lass, F. Gervais. J Sharper, uh, W Myers five five nine, um, Carl F K, Greg Elmy, uh, Microdev One is new as well. So thank you to all those new authors. We really appreciate it. Uh, we love to have this list grow and grow. We want to get more people involved. Um, and on the reviewer side, we had eleven reviewers. So thank you to all our reviewers. Uh, as a reminder, as always, um, reviewers are super critical to being able to grow our authorship. So um, if you've authored some things or you've done a lot of testing or you have libraries that you use all the time, um, that's a great opportunity to become a reviewer. Um, seeing the code that's been changed, testing it, and making sure that it kind of fits uh, our standards. Uh, if you want to get help with that, if you'd like to help us review stuff, we, we're always looking for more folks. So just reach out to me or Katni or Jeff or Dan or any of us uh, CircuitPythonistas. We'd happy, be happy to get you going with that. Um, Issues-wise, we had 15 closed issues by three people and 16 open by 14 people. So we're about net equal, which is great. And uh, we'll just keep an eye on that. Uh, we've done a really good job keeping on top of all of those issues. Um, overall, I would say everything's going really well. CircuitPython Day went really well. And uh, we're kind of on the brink of getting uh, 6.0 out the door, hopefully. Uh, getting it stable and moving on uh, forward with that. So uh, that's my brief overview. So let's uh, we're going to go into three more uh, kind of subsections of this to give just a little bit more detail about uh, stats of things. <laughs> and I'll give all those because uh, Katni and Melissa are both out today. So... Um, So on the core side, uh, we had 11 pull requests merged from six different authors. Uh, Carl FK and Microdev1 are the new folks on that list. We had four reviewers. Thank you to all our reviewers. We have 11 open pull requests um, between zero days old and 109 days old. I think that 109 days old is the uh, USB PID checking thing that I'll probably get to this week, which will be good. 
Um, issues wise, we had um, three closed issues by two people and eight opened by eight people. So we're definitely uh, growing a bit for a total of 329 open issues. If you want to help out with that, you can go to github.com slash Adafruit slash CircuitPython slash issues and check out uh, the full list there. Uh, we do try to triage them and categorize them by milestone to give an idea of when we want to have them finished by. Um, we have the, the stats here say that we have minus two issues, not a sound of milestone. I don't exactly know how we're getting that number, uh, but <laughs> that's pretty good regardless if we want to keep those out of the, the not assigned an issue or not assigned a milestone uh, principle. And then we have some milestones around 6.0 as well. Uh, I won't read those off. Um, although 6.0 milestone bugs are the most critical, those are the things that uh, one of us decided should be fixed prior to 6.0 going stable. Um, so those are the most critical to take a look at. And we have 11 of those right now. Um, so that's the stats for the core. Um, next up, we have a library section. So I will read off these stats as well. Um, Katni's on a well-earned vacation. Um, so for the libraries, we had 23 pull requests merged from 15 different authors. Uh, and I've already mentioned the new folks there. We had 11 reviewers and a number of pull requests merged. I don't actually see a number here, um, which reminds me as well that these numbers are a bit of an overlap because our meeting last week was on Wednesday uh, and these numbers are for the previous week. Um, so, uh, just know that there is some overlap here, uh, with last week. Uh, and Jeff, thank you, uh, helps out and says that there's 23 pull requests merged. Um, the oldest that got merged was 119 days old and everything besides that was, uh, under 20 days old, which is really staying on top of things. Uh, great job library folks. Uh, issues wise, they had 10 closed issues by nine people and eight opened by seven people. So again, net down. Uh, really, the library folks are on top of things. Um, they have 191 total open issues, 8 are marked good first issues, and 30 open pull requests. Uh, the oldest is 616 days old, but we've checked in with the author there and they're still working on it. Um, if you have uh, ideas, if you've looked at our issue list and know things that were, would be good first issues, please, uh, now is the time to raise those up and call those out. Um, because October is Hacktoberfest, which is a chance for us to recruit some more folks into our community and get them working on CircuitPython. Uh, so good first issues are totally underrated. Uh, and because they're good first issues, they tend to be solved pretty quickly. So we're always looking for new stuff that people can help us solve. Uh, so keep an eye out for those as well. Um, a number of libraries have been updated in the last seven days. I will not read those off. Uh, but if you want to look in the notes, you can see those there. All right. Uh, next up for Blinka. Blinka is the uh, CircuitPython library compatibility layer uh, for single board computers. Uh, and it had three pull requests merged from one author, Maker Melissa, uh, from three and reviewed by three different folks. Uh, there's two open pull requests there. Uh, I don't know the state of those. Issues-wise, they had two closed issues by two people, zero open by zero people, so they're net down to as well, for a total of 25 open issues. Download-wise, they had uh, 2,096 PyPI downloads in the last week and are supporting 52 boards currently. So 
Awesome. Foamy Guy says the oldest library PR was updated this weekend and is passing actions now. If anyone is interested in LED PWM driver breakouts, we could use some eyes on reviewing. Uh, Foamy Guy, why don't you drop the link in there as well, and we'll get some folks to look at it. Thank you. Okay, let's go on to Hug Reports. Uh, let's keep get, keep this going. Um, Hug Reports is a chance for us to say thank you to folks for the work that they've been doing. Uh, it can be in or out of CircuitPython, although it tends to have to do with CircuitPython. We just want to hear the, the awesome things people are doing, and that's a great way for us to uh, reinforce like the values that we have. So uh, values we have as community. It's done as a round robin, so I will start and then go through the list. Uh, if you're unable to speak uh, or don't choose to speak, let us know you're lurking. If you have notes that you'd like to have read off anyway, I'm happy to read those off. Otherwise, we'll just skip over you if we've marked you lurking. Uh, check the notes doc for that. Make sure it's up to date, too. That's a huge help. Okay, so I will start. Uh, first off, I have just a, a group hug for everybody who participated in CircuitPython Day on Wednesday. It was a, a day full of awesome things around CircuitPython. Uh, really warmed my heart to see everybody participate. Uh, particularly, I think... Uh, the Spanish-speaking show-and-tell was really awesome. So I said it last week, and I'll say it again. Thank you so much to Alvaro and Katni for putting that on. Um, really love seeing CircuitPython become more than just an English speaker's uh, ballgame. <laughs> he uses a, an American analogy. Uh, I'm working on it. Okay, uh, hug report to M0 for finding a tiny USB bug with the MIDI, MIDI 6, Sys X encoder. And sending a PR. I'm going to hopefully take a look at that today if TAC didn't beat me to it. Uh, Hook reports Anecdata and Jerry N for testing the native Wi Fi stuff after the merge on Friday and finding a bug uh, that has hopefully been fixed. And lastly, a hook report to Microdev for adding the ESP32S2 temp sensor support. Okay, uh, that's it for me. TG Techie, are you around and have hug reports? Yes. I have three other reports, um, all for the same help I was given this week, and that is to Jerry N, Jeff E, and DZ Erevis. Thank you so much for all the help in debugging my issues and um, just being supportive. What was the last person? Uh, the Discord handle is DZ Erevas or DZ E R V A S. Perfect. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure we got that in the notes. Awesome. Thank you, TG Techie. Glad to have you here. All right. Uh, Dan is up just after I read the notes from C. Grover. So C. Grover says, uh, hug report to M0 for some timely USB, tiny USB fixes that will help with MIDI serial buffer issues. To Otto Schmidt for his fundamental work on the ther thermionic trigger circuit, the Schmidt trigger. The original theory and subsequent op-amp op implementation really cleared the error on range slicer project code development. And next up, we have Dan. Um, so two things. Thanks to Syscorn, um, who did a, a, way, a new way of uh, compressing our um, messages in CircuitPython, which saved a considerable amount of flash. And uh, thanks to Jeff Epler for turning that code into a PR. I don't know the sequence of events, but he can speak to that. And then thanks also to Jeff, 
who um, decided to add compiler warnings to catch um, fall through cases in C switch statements, which is an issue that has plagued people using CK statements for a long time. And <laughs> by doing so, he actually caught a couple of of bugs in the BLE code, Ooh. which is great. Um, I'm not sure that they may have been harmless. I'm not sure that they caused the problem, but they were definitely wrong. Good okay. to fix either way. <coughs> awesome. Okay, I've got notes from David G, and then we'll go to Dishipu. Oh, I think actually is lurking, but your mic is unmuted anyway. <coughs> Maybe he doesn't realize that. Uh, okay, I'll read off notes from David, um, who says, uh, Hog reports and engineer for all the participation of the CircuitPython day. Hog report to Katni uh, for the circular comet mode in LED, LED animation library. For uh, Zhonghui for the USB HID report, uh, caps lock, etc. And Hog reports Jeff Epler for helping with the debouncer library on M0 and producing. Over the weekend, the RFC for routines for handling wrapped tick counts to be discussed in the weeds. No worries. Uh, Deshibu, no problem. Okay, uh, next up we have Fede2. Hi, uh, just a small one. Uh, thank you to Katni, to Jeff, and to Noah and Pedro for helping with uh, DLC with Python. Uh, yeah, the, the show and tell was amazing. Thank you, guys. Uh, also, uh, thank you for uh, Tanya for adding uh, PSRAM. I know I was trying to do this, but uh, it took me uh, way, way too long. So uh, right now I'm actually uh, rewatching and, and learning from the video. So thank you. Yeah, it took me longer than I thought I would too. <laughs> okay, thanks, Fede2. Okay, next up we have text from Foamy Guy, which I'll read off. Uh, Foamy Guy says, Hug reports Jeff Epler for helping me work through and understand some SD card slash display issues in the core. Hug report to Skerr, S-K-E-R-R, for always helping folks out on Discord, generally being a great member of the community and recently releasing their first open source hardware device. Um, and a group hug again for all the streams and other festivities last week for CircuitPython Day. And next up we have Effect. Right. Um, so this past week, sorry, I navigated away from my. <laughs> oh, nah. All right. Uh, this week, thanks to to Jeff and Two BND Five for helping to diagnose the SPI issue on the STM32, mm-hmm. and contributing uh, their waveforms to help debug that. Um, thanks again to Jeff uh, and to Dan for the help getting a community bundle library that I uh, was working on. Uh, helping me submit that over the weekend. Um, thanks to all the cool folks on PCB Design Channel here on Discord uh, for helping each other out and giving each other advice. It's really cool. Um, thanks to you, Scott, for your reviews on my ESP32 submissions this week. Um, thanks to Dave Putz for also helping to test those ESP32 S2 issues. And uh, a big thanks to Mark Olson for getting on and helping to test the F1 port, which has been giving us some difficulty. He's been helping pin down our uh, USB full speed issues. So. Yeah, that's awesome. it for me. Thanks, Higher Effect. All right, uh, Jay Guitar and Jason P are lurking, so we'll go to Jeff Epler. Well, first, I need to give another group hug to everybody who made CircuitPython Day a success. This is the first one where I was really uh, embedded in the community, and it's just so nice to see how excited people get um, 
and how participatory it is. Uh, thanks to Foamy Guy for working on a problem with the Adafruit SD card and Display I/O, and I hope that kind of me walking you through it was helpful in our chat. Thanks to David Glad for a patch to the Debounce library that improves compatibility. Uh, to D. Halbert for reviews and such over the weekend, and to Syscorn for another amazing advance in compression messages of messages in the core. Uh, I had done a patch for an idea that was uh, in in my mind for a, a while. And, you know, it got a little bit of space back. And uh, Syscorn came along and said, oh, I've been working on something similar, but his saved about eight times as much storage. <laughs> so uh, that was really awesome. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's what I have for now. Sweet. Thanks, Jeff. All right, next up we have Jerry. Uh, hi. Um, let's see, thanks to, to you, Scott, for all the ESP32S2 work, getting the Wi-Fi merged, and and especially for providing examples for how to, how to check it out. And uh, and to, to be, oh, I guess there's no I there, to be NDY5 for uh, all his work and recent updates to the uh, NRF24 LO1 library. Um, if anyone hasn't played with those, are very inexpensive and kind of fun little radios. And um, to uh, Anikdata for his patient help uh, while testing the uh, the new ESP32 S2 Wi-Fi. Uh, Help, help me get going a lot faster. Awesome. Thanks, Jerry. All right. Next up, we have KMatch98. Okay, I have one hug report this week for you, Scott. Thanks for a patient and helpful PR review. Took me a couple of tries to get things cleared up, but I hope uh, uh, the code's a lot easier to read. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. Thanks, KMatch. Okay. And lastly, we have a group hug from maker Melissa here in the notes. Um who I think is actually trying to get away from the smoke in Oregon. Um, okay, according to her uh, Twitter. All right, next up we have status updates. Uh, status updates is a chance for us to talk about what we've been working on in the past week and what we're going to work on in the coming week. Uh, it's very typical kind of round... Well, we do it as a round robin, and it's very typical as a like stand-up sort of thing. Uh, it's a great for us to keep track of what everybody's working on and making sure that... like. If we have information about something, we could we could let somebody else know, uh, give it as a tip. So I will start, and then we'll go around again. So for me, uh, the ESP32S2 native Wi-Fi support is merged. Um, Anic Data found one bug with the new request library for for it, which I made a PR last week. I don't know if it's been merged. I have to catch up on email, but that should go in. Uh, so thank you to Anic Data for finding that. Um, the request library did need to be modified for the new API that the S2 native Wi-Fi uses. So, uh, that PR should be pretty close to going, uh, to getting done. Um, though I want to get that in for sure. And I probably should update some of the other network Wi-Fi libraries because there is, if they don't have, if their socket implementation doesn't provide receive into, it's kind of kind of uh suboptimal in terms of memory so may took a look at that um okay jeff says he did approve the review but didn't merge for the receive zero thing uh which is a native wi-fi bug so we'll get that in shortly and then lastly um i will be adding support for different partition layouts for different flash sizes uh, in particular this came up uh, with unexpected makers feather s2 which has uh 16 megabytes not the typical four megabytes so we'll just want to be able to support that as well so I, i'm going to add those mechanics 
to have different partition layouts based on different flash sizes. Um, and we'll figure those out too. And I think actually that reminds me, I think I will actually also write something up about getting the the tiny US or not the tiny USB, the UF2 bootloader on the ESP32 S2. I think that's about ready to go. And now that the partition uh, stuff is kind of sorted out as well, we should be able to start move, moving people to UF2. So that'll be my week. Uh, a lot of kind of like quality of life stuff for the ESP32 S2 as we uh, start to make some progress and get more and more people involved. Um, and that reminds me, I was also going to do some USB PID stuff, which is uh, we've been having some, we have a couple open PRs where they, they just needed USB PIDs. Uh, and so we'll do that as well and get that sorted out. Okay, let's keep going around. Um, uh, we have Anicdata, Anby, and Seagrover lurking. So let's go to Dan. All right. Um, so um, as Scott mentioned, we're hoping to get the first beta release out or the zero. It's hard to say what to say here. Um, uh, maybe this week, if we can, there's some some outstanding PRs that we want to finish off. Then we could we could do a beta. Um, I'm trying to work mainly right now on getting uh, host computer support for BLEI working on macOS. Uh, the bleak underlying bleak library that we use has been undergoing some uh, work this week and last week, and that's all those things are helpful for us. It turns out. Um, I finished off last week uh, setting up some libraries for um, HCI. Uh, BLEIO support. So the B Adafruit BLE library is done. There's a command in the library that's almost done, and uh, they'll both make it possible to use uh, an ESP32, not an ESP32 S2, but an ESP32 plane, uh, and have it do Bluetooth. Uh, there have been tons of CircuitPython probe requests, and I've spent a lot of time on those, more than I might have expected in the past, but that's great. It means that a lot of code is going in and a lot of bugs are being fixed. Uh, we have a pulse oximeter library that I wrote a while ago for a certain particular brand of pulse oximeter that was easy to um, talk to over BLE. Someone tried to use it and found that they were getting uh, bad data after a while. And after looking at the library kind of carefully, it turns out that there was some there were some issues about the um, incoming data flooding, kind of flooding the the buffer. So I fixed that up. Um, that same person found that after about half an hour now, uh, it's the connection still gets messed up, and that's a new thing to look at. So I'll look at that. Um, I investigated briefly this morning um, trying to use a different uh, long integer implementation called long long which we, ha we haven't used but should be smaller than the mpz um, implementation that we're using this one is just 64-bit integers so it's not arbitrary position but it's longer right. but it turned out it built larger than the other one and i figured out why and um it's still kind of large but we can talk about this in conjunction with some stuff in the weeds okay um so upcoming i'm going to get uh finish getting the Blinker version of BLEIO BLE working, working on macOS, and we hope to write a guide after that. I uh, hope to release beta zero this week. And 
there's still some bugs that I like to see um, in um, in uh, in in BLEI in the NRF thing. But a number of people have reported some sort of strange bugs in NRF, which are stores related, and they might all be the same thing or related. So it would really be nice to track that down. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Okay, that's it. Okay, DP's looking, and we had notes from David Gloud, so I'll read those off. Um, uh, David says, Caps Lock, Caps Num and Scroll Lock Indicator on the Pi Ruler and the Commander 8086. There's a Twitter link there. Um, those two can communicate three bits, so now looking for ideas on how to use that. Uh, testing gamepad on the Commander 8086, not convinced, and uh, PR for fixing debouncer on the M0 with help from Jeff Epler. Okay, Deshipu and Dihirata are lurking, so let's go to Fed A2. Yes, uh, so, well, <clears throat> last week uh, I got done with the Circuit Python uh, local celebration in Spanish, uh, so that was a bit tiring. Um, also, uh, this week I'm going to finish the uh, Circuit Python uh, product guide in Spanish. Uh, I'm also uh, been working on on adding the uh, the module that your developer suggested for for the CircuitPython.org site. So I'm, I'm doing some testing with that as well. And also, and I'm also doing the uh, testing of the native Wi-Fi and the uh, and the new request library. So thank you. Awesome, thank you. Okay, next up we have notes from Foamy Guy, who says, uh, last week finished recording introduction and device setup videos for Learn to Program with Circuit Playground series, uh, testing a fix for SD card and on-disk bitmap, as well as unrelated Pi Portal PR that needed this fix, uh, created multitasking example scripts with Feather NRF5284 LEDs and servos, and created a very rudimentary but working input text widget for display I.O. Uh, this week, submit a PR with the SD card patched code and start recording learn to program videos about basic variable types. Sounds awesome. Next up, we have higher effect. All right, so uh, last week, uh, I debugged what turned out to be an entirely display I.O. related crash um, rather than ESP32 one like we'd originally thought. Um, I worked on recreating and resolving a problem that we're having with uh, SPI on SD cards on the SDM32 port. Um, I wrote a readme for the ESP32 S2 this morning uh, that talks about how you can get debugging up and running on the ESP32 as well as a bunch of other setup stuff if you'd like to start testing or playing around with that port. Um, for fun stuff, I got my uh, Dynamixel Featherwing in, which is my first Featherwing that I've designed. Um, and uh, I added uh, the Dynamixel library. Dynamixels are a type of, of robot servo motor. Um, and I got that added to the community bundle over the weekend. Again, thanks to Jeff and Dan for helping out with that. Um, and uh, I chatted with some folks at West uh, who are making a tracker for Steam VR and are interested in adding uh, a CircPython interface to that. So we're going to try and figure out uh, maybe a way to make that happen because it sounds kind of neat. Um, this week, I'm wrapping up a. Uh, wrapping up the SPI issue that we're having with SD cards and certain other kinds of sensors. Um, I'm going to set up to start testing on RGB matrix again, uh, try to squ squish an issue that we're having with, with the RGB matrixes on STM32, and uh, maybe fill out ESP32 microcontroller, do rotor I.O., or 
really whatever you want, Scott. If you got ideas, <laughs> I can do them. I got a long backload if you don't. So well, the, either way. The Spy SD card stuff reminds me, I think somebody had the same issue on the ESP S2. Interesting. Uh, so oh, on, on, I can definitely check it out. Uh, on the STM, we, we figured it out what it is. I just need to finish implementing it. Is that the, um, like, with the value that it writes while you're doing something else? Right, yeah. So we're going to replace every kind of read on the uh, STM32 with a transfer instead right. so that I can fill the transfer with dummy data. Um, maybe SPI is the same thing. I, I could check that out if you I want. I believe that my guess is the S2 has the same problem. Okay. All right. Yeah, I can I can check that out. That's no problem. Yep. I know, I know it's kind of boring to do the same problem over and over, but it also means <laughs> that you have the same you have the test set up for it already. I've implemented Pulse.io so many times. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Different every time. That reminds oh, me. Anyway. I think we should talk a bit about that in the weeds. I think we need to better communicate the state of different ports. Um Okay. So uh, I'm I'm happy to help out with that actually, yeah. Um because I'm into anything that's kind of like giving high level overviews of where the project is. So Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, sure. We can chat about that. Anyway, yeah, that's it for me. Thank you. Okay. Next up, we have Jeff. Hello again. So uh, last week was really dominated by CircuitPython Day, but I did finish uh, Jepler Udecimal and added it to the community bundle, which is my first community bundle library. Nice. Jepler Udecimal lets you do arithmetic with lots of decimal digits on M4-based CircuitPython boards. Uh, I found and fixed, with the help of the compiler, several fall-through bugs and added the warning to all builds so those won't come back in the future. I reviewed and merged various PRs. I implemented Syscorn's compression idea for localized strings. And I should say it was more than an idea. He provided working code for the compression side that just needed to be adapted in and then the decompression side written. I uh, had a chat with Foamy Guy about Adafruit SD card and Display I.O. and offered a way forward. And I drafted this document that we will talk about in the weeds uh, that says we need to add some facilities for uh, timing in CircuitPython. Mm -hmm. This week, I really hope to get back to the CAN bus stuff. First, with the Feather M4 CAN uh, board configuration. Second, with the CAN I.O. Uh, module for the Atmel SAM microcontrollers. And uh, for fun stuff, I have a keyboard PCB that I think comes this week. I'm looking forward to putting it together. Um, it is from Maker Diary, and it has an NRF5840 in it. So I may try it as a BLE keyboard. Nice. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Go ahead, Jerry. Um, yeah. So let's see. So finally, after way too long, um, got the updates in for the RFM69 library just to squeeze a little bit more space out of it, and, uh, and then got it built into the CircuitPython's build for the M0 RFM69 board. So both the 9X and 6.9 now have the frozen libraries in them, and a lot of other things not in them, but we'll see how people how people use them. Um, so that's that's been nice. I'm glad to get that finally out of the way. It's taken a long time to, to get through it. And um, now I can start thinking about the more more significant upgrades that really will help the, the uh, performance of those those boards. So yep, move on to the next phase. Um, I found a trivial little fix to the Adafruit Clue library um, to um, fix the Clue gesture, which wasn't working um, the way it was was 
in there. So that's fixed. And, and um, question, um, it's been approved and, and merged. Should I go ahead and release it? Or is that should releases be left to someone else on the team? To You're, take, welcome. To do? You're welcome to release it. I'm okay. just lazy about it myself. Yeah, I was never sure whether, you know, um, you know, Katni and, and Dylan were the ones who did most of releases or if we should just go ahead and do them. I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. Yeah, I think that's that's probably let's table that discussion for when Katni's back. But I think we should consider actually auto releasing. Uh, yeah, That'd be nice. But yeah, in the meantime, you're welcome. You're welcome to release anything that you need released. Okay, it's just a, again a very simple little fix, but it came up in in, in the chat. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't working, and it really wasn't. Yeah. Um, I spent a little time playing with these new NRF twenty four L one libraries, um, and uh, again, gotta find much more time to play with those. And then uh, I have no idea why, but I started using my Linux box again, and um, it has not crashed for me in the last since in the last several days. I have not had any any of the hangups when I disconnect Circuit Python devices, which was killing me. For a long time, okay. So I don't know what changed. Um, there have been a few updates to the, you know, to Linux, to the kernel, and things like that. So, who knows? But mm-hmm. now that I said it, it'll probably break. But <laughs> of course, to have it work. Of course, awesome. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, we have Kmatch ninety eight. Okay. Thanks. Uh, so I finished one PR to add a dirty rectangle tracking for shapes, so that they'll update automatically on the display. Uh, second item was that uh, I, I was spurred by a comment by Maker Melissa on the Ask an Engineer show this Wednesday about a request for touch-responsive controls. I think she specifically wanted some on-screen buttons or radio boxes. Uh, but it seems to fit a bigger uh, goal where I see a lot of people with uh, learn guides on touch-based controls mm-hmm. uh, that uh, everybody's rolling their own. The question is, how do you make it so that folks can get get uh, a Pi portal, say, and be able to write a GUI in a few minutes, which mm-hmm. is Lady Ada's always uh, perpetual challenge. Mm-hmm. So there's one issue there. So uh, already some good uh, inputs from uh, Foamy Guy, Hierofact, and some inputs from Joey Castillo and TG Techie. Uh, so there's a lot of information there. And I think uh, there's as much work on the technical side as in uh, how to make it easy to use. Uh, so I, I, I welcome anybody to put something there and and see where that's going to lead. Um, and so for this week, I'll I just am more educating myself on those challenges by looking through the learn guides and seeing seeing what's out there and, and uh, how I can contribute to that. Okay, thanks. Oops, I missed TG Techie. Thank you, Kmatch. <laughs> um, okay, I will uh, go to I will read off Maker Melissa, and then we'll go to TG Techie. Um, just as I like give you a little bit of time to think about it. Okay, Maker Melissa says last week finished writing the Pixel Frame Buff library, uh, wrote an AQI demo for John Park by taking purple air data and converting it, uh, fixed a bug in platform detect that was causing detections to happen multiple times on each call, and this week on the road for a couple days to get away from the poor air quality, working on some shell to Python script conversions, and maybe getting some more Blinka display IO stuff done. And with that, let's uh, wrap up with TG Techie. Hi. Um, so I've been for several months now working on a CircuitPython-based watch, and the f- motherboards for it finally came in. So I've been assembling and 
um, working with those. And it looks like that image is encoded incorrectly, but um, I've uploaded an image of the motherboard. And right now in front of me, I have two instances of a watch running CircuitPython with an NRF52840, uh, USB-C, 16 megabytes of storage, and a bunch of sensors on the inside. But that's been a lot of a lot of work and a lot of fun. Um, and my hug report for Jeff, Jerry, and uh, DZ Erbros, um was regarding to a lot of the firmware. So hmm. it's been a uh, interesting journey trying to debug some of the differences between the last time I built the firmware and this time. Mm-hmm. And it's changed. The, the build scripts have been altered a little bit. And Mac OS doesn't ship with the newest version of Make. So that caused a couple of issues. Hmm. And that's most of what's been going on. Looks awesome. Keep up the good work. All right, and with that, we are done, I believe, with status updates. Um, lastly, we have In the Weeds, which is our chance to just do more some more freeform discussion. Uh, if you have topics for it, we have a few queued up, but if you have any more, go ahead and hop in the notes doc and add them to the list there. The way that we work is uh, we just will call on the person who wanted to talk about something. We let them uh, give a chance to kind of introduce the topic and then we'll chat about it um so first up let's uh kick it over to jeff hello yeah so um over the weekend david and i were talking about timekeeping um because basically we've got two routines for time uh which are monotonic and monotonic ns and we aren't currently able to put monotonic NS, which uh, NS stands for microseconds, on all of the boards. Nanoseconds. Nanoseconds. Thank you. Uh, because that would overflow after about two seconds without support for long integers. And we don't have the ability to fit long integers on a lot of the boards. Right. When you work with uh, time.monotonic, that comes in as a float. And so after about 18 hours, you can't um, manage intervals that are small, like 1 64th of a second. And within several days, uh, then you can't manage intervals smaller than an eighth of a second. And the way this manifests in the real world is uh, if you're doing an animation, it will slow down or it will become very um, jerky as the time doesn't advance for a while and then, and then it advances all at once by an eighth of a second. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that we need to find something that is going to work on all of our microcontrollers that we're pretty sure we won't have to uh, take away in order to fit other features so that it needs to be small um, and that fits the use cases that we have. And so basically the use case that I identify is kind of user interactive things and timing things where the length of time involved is much less than a day and the granulated granularity that you're interested in is milliseconds. And we can, um, let's see, I guess I intended to drop this link in the chat there so you follow along the bigger document. Um, It needs to work with regular integers only, so all the numbers involved need to be uh, under a billion or so. And we need to be able to implement a version that works as well as possible uh, with uh, CircuitPython 5 and 6 and with and without longs. 
Uh, I think that kind of covers the, the highlights of what I believe we need. And if you look in MicroPython, they have a number of related routines that deliver exactly that. They have a routine that turns returns a tick value in milliseconds that wraps after an unspecified length of time. Mm-hmm. A second routine to add them. So you can say, what is 100 milliseconds after this tick value? And to compute the difference so that you can say, is this tick value before or after that tick value? And as long as they're within a reasonable length of time, as long as they're close together in time, like within a half a day, it will know which one was before and which one was after. And uh, so my proposal goes into that in a little bit of detail and uh, shows how you can implement a backwards compatibility library based on either time monotonic NS or time monotonic Mm -hmm. uh, that does as well as it could. And anyway, so that is my explanation of what I see as the problem. That is uh, my proposal for how to move forward in a way that adds very little code to the core, but gives you the tools you need to keep an LED animation running indefinitely, to have a debouncer run indefinitely, um, and not run into numeric limits, especially on those resource-constrained M0 builds. Right. So I think the one background that's missing here is the fact that the reason we have monotonic, monotonic and monotonic nanoseconds in time is that they're both standard C Python calls. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, that's the, you might be like, why did you add nanoseconds? That doesn't make any it's sense. Not useful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just because that's C Python. I always imagined we would have a precise time library. Um, I'm a little wary of putting it in microcontroller as I think what you're proposing in your issue. I would probably just put it in a new module. Okay. Uh, because modules are the way that we convey support to people. Um, and it's better to not have a catch-all. So, you know, if you want to just treat it like ticks, you could call the import ticks or whatever. Or you could, be, I, I always imagine there would also be like a precise time module. Um, so I, yeah, that that's my only feedback is like, mm-hmm. I would actually just do it as a separate module. Yeah. And then uh, in the proposal, I talk about how I believe um, that we should actually recommend people access this through a wrapper library mm-hmm. so that they can import one thing and it's going to work on 5.3 and it is going to work on six with the new stuff Um, and it would also work on a a beta or an alpha of six before this new library goes in Mm -hmm. where we have the monotonic but not the new package and yeah i'm happy to move it to a new module i'm not sure why my first gut uh, instinct is to put it in an existing module Um, i think it is around the idea of must take memory and we are very sparing with memory and it's probably a wrong impulse I mean, that's a correct impulse. I would just say that, <laughs> like, it's not worth it. Like, the cost of a module is not that much. I don't think. No, it's probably dozens under 100 bytes. Yeah, it's like whatever the cost of that outer object is, but then the dictionary mm-hmm. itself is going to be the same. Like, yeah. From the, from the module dictionary down, you're going to pay the same cost. And so, uh, Seagrover says in the text chat a set of CircuitPython programmable nanosecond and millisecond timers would be handy. And um, this is kind of trying to get away with a single timer, kind of a global timer to the whole system. Mm -hmm. And 
I think that due to the speed of these microcontrollers, it's hard to do anything at a finer time scale than milliseconds. So, uh, for instance, one piece of code I wrote was um, set a, a you know computer deadline of 100 milliseconds from now, and then add one to a counter as many times as you could, and then at the end you print the counter. And I forget if I got about 150 or about 1500, but you know it showed that really especially when you're asking what is the time over and over, um, we're not really getting down to the microsecond level. We're operating at the millisecond um, just kind of as a base. So I think the only reason you have nanoseconds or, or even microseconds is to conform to another API like desktop Python. Right. Uh, so Jerry asks, is my goal to make it MicroPython compatible? Um, I'm not particularly interested in that, but I think that in MicroPython, they thought about these issues and created a, a small API that gives you the building blocks you need. And if it just so happens that something becomes more portable between MicroPython and CircuitPython by using the same function names, ticks, ms, ticks, add, and ticks, diff, that is a nice benefit, but it was definitely not a goal. My goal is to take the good engineering ideas from MicroPython and uh, bring them back into CircuitPython, hopefully in a, in a right place. So Dan, before we decide that this is the way to do it, what do you know about long longs? So uh, yeah, so long longs, you can hear me, right? So mm -hmm. um, I, I had been looking at long longs in the past, not partly because of monotonic nanoseconds, but also because there are a number of like I2C library, things like that, where the fact that we don't have 32-bit ints is a real nuisance, and we end up having to use uh, bytes, byte strings, um, because we can't st store full 32-bit values that we get back from a register, a 32-bit register, say, from on a peripheral. Right. So um, just to explain to everybody, um, a long, long... Right now, our long integer implementation is called MPZ, and it lets you do pretty arbitrary precision integers, like up to running out of RAM. Really long integers. You can compute a Yeah, you can do 40,000-digit integers if you really yeah. are a masochist. Right. So long, long doesn't do that at all. It just does 64-bit integers. But that's a lot better than 32. It would it would solve the monotonic problem. What? Then 30-bit integers. 30. Well, or 30, Whoa. yeah, 31, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah when you consider the sign bit. Um, so, but that would solve a bunch of these problems. When I tried to build it, it actually ended up being larger than MPZ when I tried this in the past and I never bothered to figure that out, but I was suspicious that it was the kind of thing that I found before where um, we had been, I managed to save a lot of space in the past because I discovered that we were dragging in double precision floating point operations by accident in a few places. And they are very large. They're thousands of bytes each for like the double precision divide and add and stuff. So I looked at, I built long, long again, and sure enough, yes, and dragged in these double precision floats. And they're all, they're due to like just three places. Um, there are some assignment statements that convert with an implicit cast between a long, long, a long, long is 64 bits in ARM, the ARM world, um, between a long, long and a float or the going the other way. And um, 
Also, I think there's a power operation for long integers. Uh, the actual code, so I I hacked those out by just having those things return zero right now, so they wouldn't invoke anything. Uh, and sure enough, the double precision stuff went away. And what I discovered is that it takes about, now if I turn on long longs, it adds about 4,000 bytes to the implementation, and probably about at least 2,000 bytes of that is actually enabling the automatic enabling of monotonic nanoseconds and some other time routines that are left out when you don't have long integers. So the actual implementation of long integers is probably about 2,000 or 2,500 bytes. And I'd have to figure out either, we'd have to figure out some way of not like disallow converting these things to floats or or doing it in some way that doesn't invoke these large these large routines, which is probably possible. Um, so I, but I don't I don't know. So it fits long long now fits fine on the English translation. It still doesn't fit on like German, right. and I don't know how much space we're saving. See, if, see, you saved all the space, and I immediately I'm going to use it up. Okay, so uh, I don't know how much space you saved on the Syscorn's uh, dictionary thing. I think it's hundreds of bytes. Okay, like a few hundred or something. A few hundred. Yeah. So it's it's not real unless we took some more stuff out of Trinket and the other non-Express implementations. This still isn't possible. But it might make sense to turn on long long for everything but or for all but the smallest the ones where we still have it turned off. Um so I I, I think this is not it doesn't solve your problem yet. It does solve it actually is kind of a more general solution, uh, because it lets us it solves some other short too short integer problems. But uh you know, I could continue to look at this a little bit more, but I don't see, given the amount of, I don't see, like, it's not just a few hundred bytes. It's like right. 1,500 or 2,000. Even if I remove some features like, oh, you can't actually print long integers or you can't read them in <laughs> or something like that. Because other things get dragged in, like there's a string to long, long uh, library routine, which isn't that big, but it's several hundred bytes. Right. And that lets you read long integers and convert them to 64-bit for instance. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, we'd have to, yeah, we could probably do enough to do time arithmetic and uh, looking, doing, anding on 32-bit values from I2C registers, but mm-hmm. it wouldn't be, it's not completely general. So I, I don't have, it's not, it's not the alternate solution I think by any means yet. I think it's good to know, but I'm not sure that anything's urgent enough to warrant more work on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, I did enough work to know that I, I'm not missing anything that, right. that, uh, that I can't save a thousand bytes easily or right. something. Right. So, so I think, uh, Jeff, I mean, it could make sense to go forward with what you're doing. Um, I think the idea of encapsulating this as a timer is is kind of 
interesting as opposed to a clock. Um, I mean, there are sort of two ways. So I think C. Grover's idea, it might make it kind of more general as opposed to, oh, here's this alternate weird library that we have that we want everybody to use. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know about that. But right now, the solution is sort of solving a very specific problem. And maybe we could make something that's a little bit more general that uh, would have all, a, a bunch of uses. Right. Yeah, I'm imagining in this Adafruit Ticks library, you could say, make me a timer and set its deadline or operations like that. And so you'd have a small number of kind of object-oriented classes in there. So you'd have a, a timer class in it. But I'm not sure what operations uh, people want to do on timers. Do they want to call something on the timer? To... Am I going in and out, or are you hearing me okay? You did a bit just there. All right. I, I leaned back from the mic. It was my mistake. Um, so... Like, are these the right routines to build some object-oriented timer libraries on? Um, but when Seagrover says programmable timers, I'm not sure what that means. Are we, like, getting into that space where we're talking about the async stuff, which I really don't want solving async to be a prerequisite to solving this uh, initial problem. I, th- I think it's neat. would be neat to have a countdown timer that just said as the timer expired and you could just query it as opposed to doing subtraction and comparison yourself. That's, right. That's, that's, that's a nice, like you said, a nice convenient abstraction for that um, would be, would be, would be, would be nice. And maybe you could recast it as that. And it might actually make writing all this code simpler, even when you have monotonic nanoseconds available, instead of basically what you're providing is a very shallow wrapper around time arithmetic or and but if you if you said well what what is it what is what is the abstraction that people are actually coding here even mm-hmm. though they're not coding it explicitly if you provided that it might it might actually make a, a bunch of sample programs be simpler to write so yeah so it's probably worth spending a little time of thinking about that at least yeah all right. Well, um, you know, I would like to see this happen, but I also have a lot of other priorities and all things being equal, this is something that I'm going to return to when I have a little spare time or downtime and it's not going to be a top priority. Um, C. Grover, I'd be happy to see, like, if you have sketches of code you'd like to write, uh, if you don't have that right now, sure, leave them on that uh, issue as a comment um, so that we can kind of do it async. Uh, but otherwise, I'm happy to pass on to the next topic if everybody else has had their say. Yeah, I think I think that's a good outcome of this is like it's not going to happen immediately. So like now that we've kind of brought it up to everyone, the issue is a place to continue the discussion. All right. Cool. OK, I'll uh, go on to myself, which is the next topic. Um I've been seeing more and more folks get confused by the state of CircuitPython in terms of like what's stable and what's unstable. And I think this is, uh, you know, as CircuitPython grows, like the first two or three releases were like very clearly unstable or stable because basically we're adding new ports to them. But at this point, we have like five ports or I don't know, 
a number of ports and like some of them are are more stable than others and it's a it's a question we're getting a lot of like it is this supposed to work on this port sort of thing um so i think at minimum in our release notes we should start adding just to like these ports we consider stable these ports we consider beta or alpha or or whatever um as a way to communicate people like the the teensy 4.1 is still alpha right like or the esp32 s2 is in beta like that sort of stuff i think um is something i think release notes are a good place to do it but perhaps we should we could add more detail to like the read the docs as well yeah i think if it goes into either a separate page and read the docs that maybe is, is assembled from some rst or md files in each port directory mm-hmm or maybe in the support matrix. Yeah, I was going to say support matrix. Yeah. yeah. So, so my 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 question here was going to be, you know, do we want to start? Do we want to actually break this down by feature a little bit? Because the port matrix is like by board, right? right. Um, but we largely define features by port. What what features right. are supported by port, just based on what's what's implemented. And uh, and it's also I think worth noting noting that you know some ports are going to be stable more stable in some areas than others. Like I would say that mm-hmm. like, you know, STM 32 generally is supposed to be stable. You know, it's, it's still kind of working through some issues that keep coming up in bus IO, but um, it should be becoming sta- more stable right. um, on, you know, bus IO and kind of the basics. But as soon as somebody starts putting in audio IO, that's not going to be a stable feature for, you know, a while. Right. Um, yeah. might take a long time to work those bugs out. So uh, I just wonder if, like, do we want to actually break it down more than just what ports are stable, but actually, like, kind of what is per port, what is done, and what is work in progress? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think another state is, like, especially for SAMD, like, this is supported but not supported on all boards, which should be a designation as well. I think I think it's also worth noting. I've I've done a fair amount of work. I I, I recently made actually a, a little Python script that basically goes through the global mpconfig file and figures out what uh, what kind of type each module is, whether it's it's uh, included by default or whether it's uh, you know included based on some kind of condition. Right. Um, and I think that there's a lot of like there's there are many modules, for instance, that uh, aren't really relevant from a port stability standpoint because they're in shared module. They're completely implemented in shared module. They depend right. on something very basic like mm-hmm. digital I/O. If they depend on something at all, right. uh, and so those aren't really like you can always include those. You know, like yep. there's no reason not to. So right. uh, compared to stuff that's like 100% in common HAL completely specific to the microcontroller right um so okay anyway, so i think um go ahead no you go ahead i was gonna i was gonna kind of try to wrap it up and say i think we should have brief information in release notes about the state of each port and then we could link out to the read the docs um and i should file an issue so that we can get summer sauce feedback who did the support matrix basically like aggregating the support matrix up to the port level as a foundation for like a port by port status. 
Yeah, I think I think it would be nice if we could actually have both the support matrix and like some kind of port level overview. Right. Um, but it would obviously be a lot better if we could automate that. Like if we actually had one of the things I was thinking about is if we had some kind of commenting schema in the global MP config that uh, could be read mm -hmm. by an automated Python script that updates like every port automatically. Like if we actually come out with like an automated system that can tell what's installed, you know, what modules don't need to be installed, that kind of stuff, and actually automatically put together some kind of summary. Hmm. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think I I think the the support matrix has those mechanics already. Um, right. So it'd be it'd be an expansion on whatever we already have. Yeah. And um, for something port level. Yeah, David David G is also pointing out that um, maybe we just want to provide like a code.py that will just try to import all the native stuff and give you friendly messages about whether it's supported or not. Huh. Yeah. I think the challenge with actually doing some sort of testing is that you potentially have to have something set up. Digital I.O. is only 60% supported? I wouldn't... No, that's just a joke about how we would represent that. Okay. There's okay. layers and layers to that joke, so I'm not going to explain. <laughs> um, like, that's like the first thing we implement. How are there two ports that don't have that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd be very confused. Um, yeah, well, I... I don't know. I'll, I'll maybe if you make an issue, I'll okay. maybe try and articulate this kind of global MPY okay. or CircuitPython config uh, commenting idea because that's been kind of popping around in the back of my head for a while, and uh, it might be good to just put it out there and write. Okay, sounds perfect. I'll add a note that uh, I should create an issue, and then let's go. To, go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't know if uh, it would be a nice idea to also add that information into the circuit Python page, because uh, you know a normal normal yes, because as a normal user you just go and download stuff from there, so uh, you you wouldn't have like the the link to read the docs or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I, I did make a I made an issue on the circuitpython.org web uh, GitHub um, to try and actually get the the docs linked on the circuitpython.org website because I don't think we do right now. Um, I think that's definitely something that could be added somewhere in the download process for people. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, download libraries, Blinka. Contributing news, awesome. Newsletter help. Yeah, it doesn't look like we have the read the docs there. Which we not sure. I could I could submit a PR, but I'd have to figure out kind of how to do that. Yeah. Um, an issue is a good way to do that, I think. Okay. Well, there's there's one up up there. So, whoever's whoever's on web stuff, I don't. <laughs> okay. Um, let's uh, kick it back over to you, Higher Effect, for the last topic that we have here. Oh yeah. So this was just kind of a quick thing. Um, just because I've been seeing all these cool projects like watches and uh, you know sensors and all kinds of things that are battery powered, uh, I was wondering uh, if 
we wanted to try and do any low power testing because uh, I was looking at a kind of one of these these test benches for low power that's like basically built to run over like multiple days and do kind of in-depth power analysis. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just wondering what you were thinking about with that because anything, you know, for I think a lot of people are using CircuitPython for stuff like cosplay or sensors, whatever, um, and increasing battery life might be something that's cool for them. So, uh, I, I, I kind of think we're in the, in the, I think we're where we want to be basically, which is on the Adafruit side, it's not that important, but there are people that are doing really good work separate of that. Like the maker diary folks in particular, like they've done some really good research about like making sure that all of the high speed, like that the high speed clock can actually be powered down. Um, this was, I, Sorry, go ahead. I just, I, I just don't think it's that urgent from the Adafruit side, but um, it sounds like it sounds like people are making progress on it uh, separately of that. This was less like about um, actually doing optimization, more about just quantifying what stats we have. The reason I bring this up is because uh, there was actually kind of a while on STM32 where we actually weren't running. A low power code at all mm -hmm. um and we didn't pick up on that uh until like almost a full release later um and i was just i, I like i don't have i and I, I'm, I was just thinking like i don't know how i would have actually been able to tell uh if we had if i hadn't actually like run into the register level thing that was like oh wait this isn't actually running mm -hmm. um so that's that's kind of more my concern is like I don't actually know necessarily how well uh, low power is working on right. STM32 or there two or anything else. Right. And you know, if I were a, a newcomer to CircuitPython, I wouldn't be able to pick out of our board selection which one gets the best power performance, right? Um, like I wouldn't be able to make an educated decision on that because right. we just don't know yet. Um, so that was kind of more 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 my thinking is like not trying to reinvent the system, but just kind of like establishing where we are so we can, you know, encourage people to, to help contribute if that's a priority for them. Uh, I mean, I think it's fine to do. I just don't think, I don't think on the Adafruit side, it's something we feel like we need to do right now. Like I did, I did at least that work to get the timekeeping off of it so we could shut down the CPU um, but like low power is a huge rabbit hole, right? Like it's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot sure. of work to get it down to the really, the low base stuff. Um, sure. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, and that's, like I said, that's I, why I, I hesitate I, to do it. I'm, I'm well, I would definitely also hesitate to actually put in the fixes um, like I said, I, I'm just wondering if it might be worth spending the time to quantify where we are. That's, that's really my, my very thing. It, would it be worth basically picking up a sensor or asking someone who already has one, uh, to run some two day tests or, you know, 24 hour tests on a CircuitPython board and just say, Hey, here's our average, 
I mean, I think perform a basic benchmark. I think if that matters to somebody, they'll at this point they'll have the tools to do it. Like, I think that's part of the evolution of of CircuitPython as a project is like we're gonna have more people with specific needs and and like they need to be able to vet things that vet the things match those needs. I mean, I think the mm-hmm. I think the Maker Diary people are a perfect example of how I'd like it to go, right? Like, they pick CircuitPython for their keyboard that uses NRF, and they realize that, like, the power is not quite good enough. We needed to be able to shut down the QSPY peripheral, right, when we're asleep or something. Like, and they merged it in, they got it in, and they got down to, like, microamps when asleep. Like, that's that's awesome. <laughs> that's exactly kind of the way I want to do it, is, like, I want to encourage other people to to make CircuitPython do the things that they want it to do, not just uh, relying on me or you or Adafruit to do it. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, I just wanted to pitch it by you with some some use cases, but um, if you ultimately don't think it's the right direction for Adafruit, then that's fine. Right. And I'm, I am trying to walk that line of, like, I think that would be awesome to have for CircuitPython, but I don't think, you know, from the Adafruit side, that means that, like, I don't think that's something our Adafruit customers are struggling against or that we've been hearing about. Battery power? Yeah. Like battery, 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 battery uh, lifetime isn't, a, isn't too big of an issue on the forums and stuff. Right, right. Um, right. Well, yeah, I mean, if it's, not a, if it's not an issue people are running into, then that definitely makes a lot of price. Yeah, and MicroDev's micro pointing out that the S2 has an ultra-low coprocessor. And, and correct, we do not do anything with that right now. I mean, like, you know, I, I think SCM32 has all sorts of low power features that we, you know, yep. could be using, but right. it's just not in there. Yep. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I think in general, you know, features and, and bugs need to have a sponsor, right? Like they need to have somebody who's willing to either do the time or pay for somebody to do the time to do it. Um, and I think we're going to, I think this is going to be an issue that comes up more and more with S2 in particular. Like I s- think I saw an issue go by where somebody wanted to be able to connect based on the BSS ID rather than the ESS ID or whatever, like the Mac address versus that the SID. So they knew exactly which access point they were connecting to. Um, and that's a perfect example of like, it doesn't matter for Adafruit, but like I'll do what I can to point them in the right direction so they can do it. Um, it's really just like when those of us with like lots of experience with CircuitPython are thinking about what we, we is worth us working on is I think like maybe not the feature itself, but like any sort of like critical piece, uh, that had, that requires a lot of background, uh, to do. So for the deep sleep stuff, it's like moving all of the internal timekeeping off the sys tick timer. Um, is one of those things I think like, yeah, I wasn't running down the last micro amp, but I was like setting it up so that people have something that's easier to tweak and build on. Um, and that like the native Wi-Fi code I did is kind of like that as well of like, now that you can connect based on ESS ID, it's relatively, I think it'll be relatively easy to be able to connect on Mac address, right? Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's tricky and 
we're always welcome. If you know somebody who wants to do that and they need help figuring it out, that's the ideal case, I think. Part of it is, 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 I mean, I, I, I do, I do put, I guess, uh, low power stuff on some of my own ships and sometimes it, it feels like a bummer to not have some of the same low power stuff on, uh, on circuit Python. I do know, I do, I, I know some people who are looking for low power stuff, mm -hmm. but I don't think that they will be able to sponsor the project because they're working for nonprofits. So, um, right. but I'll, I'll keep my eye out, uh, and see if there's anybody who might be able to, might. Yeah. 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 And like also encourage those people if they are working on it to, to contribute it back. Right. Like the, uh, the maker diary folks, I think had a little bit of like, Oh, I want to turn this on just for our board. And I'm like, no, no, you don't need to do that. Like we can turn it on for everyone and find the bugs for everyone and, and then we'll fix it. Like, um, need to do our best to keep everything kind of in one spot as, as those things get added. Okay, cool. Well, that's 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 it for that issue. Thanks for in your input. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks for bringing that higher up higher effect. I think it also is one of those things that's gonna like we'll circle back to right. Like I did some work initially, and like maybe next year we'll want to do it again. Um, and it sounds like there's a couple of folks in the chat wanting to do the low power stuff on the S two as well. So. If I didn't have to do that, that would be awesome. All right, let's wrap up. Thank you, everybody, for joining. This has been the CircuitPython Weekly Meeting for September 14th, 2020. Uh, I'm Scott. I work for Adafruit on CircuitPython, along with a number of other folks in the channel. Uh, this meeting happens every week, uh, Mondays usually at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, if you want to participate, if you want to get notified about meetings and meeting changes, potentially, uh, ask, join our discord and ask to be part of the circuit Python nieces role. Um, that will, uh, that will give us, uh, a chance to ping you and also give you access to speak up in the, uh, in the meeting in the voice channel. Uh, this meeting was recorded. It will be posted shortly on the youtube.com slash Adafruit feed and is also available as a podcast if you want to watch it later. Along with that, uh, there will also be links to the notes docs uh, that have time codes in it so you can skip around if you want to revisit anything we were talking about. Um, I believe next week is a normal week, so we'll be on Monday again. Uh, I believe Jeff is hosting next week, hopefully. Um, and... Yep, I plan to. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. So, uh, I think with that, we'll see everybody next week. Uh, and until then, I'll join us on our Discord uh, at adafru.it slash Discord. Uh, and with that, stay safe and uh, keep on hacking. <laughs>